honored to be here, and I have um, most of my family here with me. Did y'all get the family picture? If we could put that up. There we are. Um, the, my son there in the ball cap, he is not with us today. That's Chase. He's 16 years old, and he just got one of his first jobs, so he stayed home to be a responsible young man and work at his first job this weekend, and also not to miss school because he has a few bad grades, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> so that's our 16-year-old, so he's not here with us. Everybody else is. Um, then the young man in the front is Zachariah. Zachariah, you can stand and raise, wave your hand. And then we have Camry, who just turned 12 on Friday. And then there's my husband in the picture, and you'll get to hear from him in a moment, Brian. <clears throat> and then the little one in my lap is Aaliyah. She's down in your nursery. So if you happen to see um, number 75 come up, you know that she's tearing up your nursery down there. So she just turned one a few weeks ago. So um, that is our family, and we are blessed and honored to be here. And uh, I even got to speak with your pastor several times on the phone and communicate with him over the past couple of weeks. And just really had a great connection with him. Y'all are blessed to have such a wonderful pastor. Wish I could have met him today face-to-face, -face, but hopefully I'll get to do that sometime soon. And I think it's just great, even this whole theme that y'all have uh, in December with the Advent Conspiracy. Um, I think so much of the American churches and Christians in America overall that we place so much more importance on gifts and shopping and decorations at Christmas time rather than celebrating the true reason and it's the birth of our Savior. And so I'm excited that y'all as a church are here to celebrate the true reason for Christmas and not be so focused on the material and the worldly things. And I just think that's a great theme that your pastor and that your church have. Heard you had a great service last week with the Dream Center. Heard about that from Tasha, and I just heard that was phenomenal. And I'm excited to share with you more about human and sex trafficking today. And like Tasha said, please, if you can, come out to the workshop this afternoon. Um, it is becoming more and more of an epidemic and a problem here in the United States, more than you even realize. And we want you to be aware and have... Uh, just be aware of the signs and the terminology and things that you can keep your eyes open to not only protect your own children, but to also protect other children in your community and be able to report anything that you see. So we're going to be talking all about this afternoon in the workshop. We're going to show a 20-minute documentary film about two U.S. girls, teenage girls, your all-American girl teenagers at high school, how they got trapped into the sex trafficking industry, but they got rescued out of it. They're going to share their stories on video today, so you'll get to hear their stories if you come. So please come to that. And uh, we'll talk about our product table here in a little bit, but we would love to meet each and every one of you, hug your neck, shake your hands, get to know you as much as we can while we're here today. So please stop by the table and talk to us after service because we like to be more on a personal basis and uh, just get to know everybody. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's stand this morning and just pray before our Heavenly Father to start the message. Dear Jesus, we come before you this morning and we thank you that we have the opportunity and the freedom to come into your house to worship you today. I thank you for everyone that is here, Father. We thank you for your presence that is here with us. Lord, and we just lift you up and we glorify you and we magnify you today. Lord, as we uh, learn more about this problem of human trafficking that is going on worldwide, we know, Lord, that it breaks your heart. Help me, Holy Spirit, to speak your words that I can bring awareness and enlighten 
this church about this problem and how we as Christians can rise up and be a shining light in this dark world to help rescue people out of this epidemic. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we glorify you. We thank you for your word, and I pray that it would penetrate our hearts today and help us to leave here changed in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want to do this morning before we get into the word is I just want to um, just share a little bit about human trafficking. See, it has been around since the beginning of time. If you go back to Genesis 37 and the first book of the Bible, Joseph was sold by his own brothers into slavery for 20 shekels of silver, which is about $200 in today's money. See, but Joseph's slavery eventually led to the redemption and salvation, not only of his own family, but of the whole Hebrew race. And God had a plan for the slavery that he endured. See, when money is exchanged for the ownership of one individual to another, then human trafficking has occurred. Regardless if these individuals cross territorial borders or not, it can happen in their own same city. But see, but when a minor is involved in prostitution, whether it's forced or unforced coercion, by definition, this falls under sex trafficking because a minor cannot give legal consent to engage in sex. So once this monetary exchange takes place, the victim is now enslaved into a lifestyle not of their choosing. See, sex trafficking usually starts out with deception. So many times children or girls are promised, oh, I'll be a wonderful boyfriend. Oh, I'm going to marry you. Oh, we have great job opportunities for you. And it all starts out with deception, but it soon evolves into a constant cycle of rapes, beatings, threats, confinement, living in inhumane conditions. Most sex trafficking victims will service between 5 and 30 customers a day. Some of these girls are as young as 10 and 11 years old. These victims are often malnourished, sleep-deprived, suffer emotional and physical abuse in addition to the daily sexual abuse. Forced abortions, STDs, hepatitis, and AIDS are the eventual outcomes to these young ladies. Some girls even commit suicide when it becomes apparent that they will never be able to escape this lifestyle. So many of them are told, oh, if you work for me for so many years, then we'll let you go back to your families. And it's just lie after lie. And these girls bring in thousands upon thousands of dollars, promising, oh, we'll send the money back to your family. So the girls think that their family is getting the money. In reality, they are not. And they finally realize they're stuck in a lifestyle that they cannot get out of. And they're also told, oh, if you try to leave, we will murder your family. We'll kill you. We'll torture your brothers and sisters. So these young girls feel trapped that they have to do it now to keep their family safe. And unfortunately, up to 27 million people alive today are victims of human trafficking. There's more slaves today in the world than in any given time in history. And church, I want this to sink in today of how many people are caught up as victims in slavery. 27 million people on our earth are involved in this. Please watch the screens and we can learn just a little bit more about human trafficking. (laughs) 
Human trafficking is a problem that affects a large majority of our world. There are approximately 196 countries in our world, and 161 of them are affected by human trafficking as source, transit, or destination locations. That compromises 70% of our world. Human trafficking is quite the costly problem. Billions of dollars are spent from everyone, and in the U.S. alone, the estimated global annual profit spent from human trafficking is $31.6 billion. 600,000 to 800,000 men, women, and children are trafficked across international borders each year. Approximately 80% are women and girls, and up to 50% are minors. 98% of those trafficked for commercial sexual exploitation are women and girls, and 56% of those trafficked for forced economic labor exploitation are women and girls. Women are not only the victims, though. 42% of recruiters are women, and in 46% of trafficking cases, the victims knew their traffickers. An estimated 1.2 million children are trafficked each year. However, the biggest problem with human trafficking is that for every 800 people trafficked, only one person is convicted. There are two main factors contributing to the vulnerability of human trafficking. The first of the two is education. Females are less likely to go to school and more likely to be illiterate than males, including their brothers. The less education means fewer opportunities for jobs, which in result leads to more vulnerability to being trafficked. Worldwide, 72 million primary school-aged children are not in school. 57% are girls. For every one boy not in school, there are 16 girls not in school. The second factor of vulnerability is poverty. Poverty is a main contributor to trafficking. The majority of victims come from the poorest groups of the poorest countries. <clears throat> I broke down the statistics a little bit more. That's 3,287 people are sold or kidnapped and forced into slavery every day. 3,000 people every day are becoming victims of modern-day slavery. That's 136 an hour, and those are just the reported cases. You want to break it down a little bit more and get a little more personable? Just while we've been sitting in service so far this morning, 50 children have become victims of slavery. 50 kids that are beaten, raped, starved, just in the time we've been sitting in church being comfortable. I want to tell you a few stories just to let you know the reality of what is going on around our world. I have a friend, and her name is Lenny, and her and her husband have had a work in Southeast Asia. They work in Vietnam and Cambodia with Bible colleges and mentoring pastors. But a few years ago, my friend Lenny uh, decided that she really started to be having a burden and a passion for sex trafficking, and she really wanted to, to do something about it. So she prayed about it and felt that she wanted to work in Cambodia where some of their other work was going on. So she made a trip specifically over there to have in mind, I need to build a safe house and I need to start looking for girls that I can rescue out and put into this safe house. 
So she went over there to a very poor neighborhood in Cambodia, and there was a little market town square, and she walked in there, and one of the first things that she saw, there was a post in the town square, but chained to the bottom of the post was a three-year-old little girl. She had shackles around both of her hands and shackles around both of her feet, chained to a pole. This little three-year-old girl was on all fours eating the dirt and the trash off the ground and licking the mud out of a puddle for water. So Lenny started talking to people in the market square, asking and questioning about this little girl. She came to find out that the mother, about a year previously before that, had traded her daughter for a microwave. Because microwaves over there are a hot commodity. Nobody has a microwave. So her mother wanted a microwave more than she wanted her daughter. And the people that she traded her daughter for for a microwave were people that were involved in sex trafficking. And since this girl was only two years old at the time when they received her, they didn't know what to do with her because she was just a little child. So they chained her up to the pole. And when Lenny asked what the little girl's name was, they said, oh, we have named her Titi to represent that she's not going to be worth anything to us until her breasts develop. So we call her T.T., basically waiting till she's old enough that they can put her in a brothel to service men every day. Lenny was so heartbroken over it, she decided that she was going to rescue that girl, and she ended up paying the owners of the little girl that day, and she bought little T.T., she started a safe house, and she now renamed her, her name is Princess Ruthie, And Ruthie is about seven or eight years old and is a healthy young girl being raised in a Christian safe house over in Cambodia. These are the type of stories and the ways that our children are being treated around the world. Sometimes it's even hard to comprehend that people could be that inhumane to a child. I have another friend, her name is Christine, and she has a large sex trafficking ministry where she rescues women and teenage girls in Greece and takes them into safe houses. And when she first got involved in this, her and her husband wanted to work there. They had a lot of favor with the government and the police department in their town where they were working. And they called her up one day, and they said, Christine, we have a shipping container that we believe we have found that is full of girls that have been trafficked across the border. Would you and your husband like to come with us when we open up this container so you can love on these girls and take them into your safe house? And Christine said, yes, we would love to be there. So they went with the police department when they opened up the shipping container. When they opened it up, it was not what she expected. There was about 60 teenage girls that was in this shipping container, and over half of them were dead because they had been in there for days and days and days without any food, without water, and without any clean air to breathe. So the girls, some of them wanted to go with Christine to her Christian safe house that she was setting up. And when they got back to the safe house, she began to talk with them. And she began to share with them just about the love of Christ and teaching them about the Bible and saying that Jesus can help you and give you hope and give a new life to you. And she said, and Jesus is the one that has called me to come rescue you. And one of the girls stood up that had been in the container that survived, and she looked at her. And she said, if everything that you tell me about this Jesus and this Bible is true, then tell me one thing, Christine. How come you didn't come sooner? Why didn't you come sooner and rescue us? Why didn't you come sooner so all those other girls did not have to die in front of me? Why did you not come sooner? 
And church, I'm here to cry out to you for these girls. Their silent cries cannot be heard around the world or when they're trapped in a brothel or a shipping container. That we have got to rise up as a church and we have got to come sooner. Now is the time for us to come and do something to rescue these girls. It's happening all over the world. It's even happening here in the United States. Church, I ask you, who is going to help them? Who's going to rescue them? We can't do it just sitting in our church pews and our church seats. We've got to get up and bring hope to these people. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan out of the Bible. There was the Good Samaritan and there was the priest and the Levi. And for many, many years, I was thinking that I was the Samaritan. I've been in ministry for 20 years. I've been on staff at churches. But you know what? Reality hit me one day, and I was not the Samaritan. I was the priest, and just like the Levi, who just walked on by and wasn't doing anything. You see, I was just passing by the hurt and the broken people of the world. I was talking about them, and I was praying for them, and I was crying over them. But you know what? I thought I was being compassionate, but in reality, it was only words. Because in Luke 10, 33, it says the good Samaritan went to him and helped him. So most of the church thinks that they have compassion because they're praying and they're talking and they're crying about the darkness and the hurting people and the broken people of the world. But that's only emotions and sympathy. And so many times we get compassion and emotions mixed up and confused. And see, then one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, compassion Holly, is when you are willing to stop your plans. Compassion is when you are willing to cross over on the other side of the street and help the person that is hurting and broken. Not to just talk about it, not to just pray for them, but you're actually going to take action and help them. To give of your own time, to give of your own money, to give of your own talent. And I realize that compassion and truly helping broken, hurting people in this world is when you're ready to get your life messed up. You're ready not to live a normal life. You're willing to make those sacrifices to touch people. Because I'm sure the Good Samaritan had a plan that day when he was walking down the street. But when he stopped and helped that broken person, his life was changed forever. Because he stopped and he helped the need right in front of his eyes. And my husband's going to come up and he's going to share with you for a few moments about how we have decided as a family and as a couple to cross over on the other side of the street and get involved in people's lives. Hello. I'm going to completely change what I was about to say because <laughs> she prompted something in me. I was like Holly. I was involved in going on mission trips, and I'd been all over the world on mission trips, and, and yet I was doing exactly what she's saying. I was getting involved once or twice a year and doing something very, very part-time. I took my first trip to India, and I had a layover in Calcutta. Calcutta is known as the armpit of the world. It doesn't get any worse. What amazed me about Calcutta 
is when you walk down the street, you look like you're walking in some kind of zombie apocalypse or something. Everybody there looks like they're walking dead. They look as if they have no life in them. Their eyes are completely lifeless. And you see these people that have no hope in life, that have given up, and get forward to looking to an afterlife where they may come back as a chicken or a grasshopper because that's what their religion tells them. I was stuck in Calcutta for four days on a layover, and while I was there, I was in a taxi, and the taxi driver said, this was in 1996, taxi driver said, so you want me to take you to see Mother Teresa? And I said, yeah, right, you, you can't go see Mother Teresa. He says, no, really, you can go, I can take you there to Mother Teresa. So he took me to this woman, and I visited with her, and I held her hand, and I talked to her for about 10 minutes, And after I left, I thought, I don't even know who this is. I know this is the most famous woman in the entire world, probably for 100 years, Mother Teresa. Everybody knows who Mother Teresa is. And so I went and I found a a Catholic bookshop there in Calcutta, and I went in and I looked at a book to find out about this person's life. And I found out that she, in her young adult life, I think she was in her early 30s, she had the opportunity to marry into royalty. Somebody in her country had proposed marriage to her, and this person was royalty. She was a peasant, and she had the opportunity from there on out to live the good life. She turned it all down. She said, no, my heart is to go serve in India. So she went to the people, the higher-ups in her church, and asked to go. And they said, what do you have for the trip? And she says... I have the equivalent of 25 cents, and I have the Lord. And they said, ma'am, you can't do anything with 25 cents. And she says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they liked the woman's zeal, and they put her on a ship, and they sent her over there to India. And she got off the ship, and the first person she came up to, the first person she saw when she got off the ship was a woman laying down in the gutter. And the sewage was coming down in the gutter and going right over this woman. And she looked a little closer, and she found out that a rat was chewing on the woman's leg. She was being eaten alive. And they, she picked up the woman, and she nursed her back to health. And that was her first experience in missions. She crossed the street. She was the Good Samaritan. She didn't do a trip once or twice a year, and she didn't go to, you know, she didn't have her experience where she was experiencing missions enough to get her by until the next mission trip, but she took it upon her life to make a life change. After that trip, a lot of years passed. I continued to go on mission trips, but I kept that trip in mind. And oftentimes it takes a kind of a crisis to be able to propel you to the next step of making the poor and needy in your world your main desire in life. Because we have it made here in America, and it's, it's too easy to just blend in and do what we need to do and, and go to church and feel good about, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord would want me to do. My crisis came in 2005. Um, Holly didn't tell you, but she's remarried to me. I'm her second husband. I had a wife before, and my wife ran out on me in 2005. And I remember within a few days of that happening, I thought to myself, I need to do something with my life now because if I don't, it's going to make me or break me. And I'm afraid if I don't do something really big with myself, 
I'm going to end up on drugs or with prostitutes or whatever to try to, dis to try to distract me from the pain I was going through at that time. And within three days of my wife leaving me, I had uh, contacted somebody I knew in Africa. And I said, can we start working with children with AIDS in Africa? Because I knew that was way bigger than any pain I was going through. And that's kind of where I took the step and I went across the street. Instead of talking about the needy and seeing the needy, I actually started stooping down and picking up the person that was being eaten alive by the AIDS virus. Uh, before long, I had, we had started helping over 400 children with AIDS. And uh, I started being more interested in, in maybe serving in another area, not just children with AIDS, but children that had been affected by war. And uh, I started going to places where they had been war-torn, and I going in there into refugee camps and, and helping people and coming back to America and telling other people about what's happening in, in places like Rwanda and Sierra Leone and, and Sudan and meeting people and, and visiting pastors over in these areas and telling them, I'll do all I can to, to find help for you. But there was one last area that I wanted to get involved in, and that was sex trafficking. And when I found out, um, I sent an email out about four years ago to, our, to all the contacts I knew anywhere in the world. I said, do any of you know of any girls in any brothels that are minor girls that are being held there against their will? And, a, and I heard back from a, uh, a pastor that I knew. Or I, di I didn't know him personally. He was a contact of mine through another pastor. And this pastor says, I know of two brothels in my town, in a free town, Sierra Leone, where there's minor girls there that don't want to be there. And I says, do you have a lot of women in your church? He says, our, our church is all women. He says, I've got a church of 200 people. All the men are dead from the war. And he says, there's only three, there's only three men in my church all out of 200 people. The rest of the men are all dead. I says, well, go send the widows of your church into these brothels. See if the madam will let them in. And, this, and these women started going into the brothels every Wednesday. They would go in there and they would share the Lord with these girls. After about four months of this, I said, now ask the madam how much we can pay her to let a girl go free. I thought they were going to say a couple hundred dollars. They wrote back and they said, she said she'll take $60 a head. I said, hey, I don't have a lot. Let me send you $350 right now. And I sent it over, wired it, Western Union. They wrote back a few days later, said, we got 10 girls out. And I thought, that math don't add up. <laughs> but that's okay. And so I started sending more money. And after I had sent like, I think $1,150 I had sent over, they said, you can stop sending the money now. See, what had happened is after we rescued several of these girls out, we got, I said, I don't want you to just take these girls and stick them over in a corner somewhere. I says, they need to keep busy. Do, have them do something. I says, I want them to draw me pictures. I'm going to make a greeting card line with the pictures that they're drawing me, and I'll sell these greeting cards in America. I says, so just have them draw me some pictures. So they were drawing me these pictures, and I said, draw me a, I need a Thanksgiving card. So I said, have a girl draw me a, a turkey and some pumpkins. They don't know what turkey and pumpkins are. 
I got a picture with a sparrow with some cranberries around it on a vine. <laughs> That's what they thought turkey and pumpkins were. Anyway, <clears throat> the madam of this brothel had found out that these girls were making these line of Christian greeting cards. And the madam told, told the pastor to send me a message and say, the reckoning has been emancipated because they're doing the work of the Lord. I was dating Holly at the time. I sent her, I, I called her up, I think, and I said, I said, because I got this message on my Facebook, on my smartphone, I pulled over at this truck stop and I called up Holly and I said, Holly, I don't know what this means. The, emance, the reckoning has been emancipated because they're doing the work of the Lord. And I, I was like looking these words up in the dictionary because this is like an old English country. The reckoning, the, the money handling has been wiped out. The money has been wiped out. You don't have to pay anything anymore because these girls are doing the work of the Lord. They start giving these girls to us. We've got 85 girls out now in Sierra Leone out of sex trafficking. And uh, I was in church there. I went to church to meet these girls. There's about 80 widows sitting on the left side of the church. In the back, there was about 60 orphans on the other side of the church. And up front, there was about 60 prostitutes sitting up toward the front here, former prostitutes. And I, uh, I, we were singing and we were dancing and we were enjoying our time in the Lord. And I looked over and I looked back to the pastor and I said, is that who I think it is? He says, yeah, that's her. It was the madam. She had given her heart to the Lord and she was on the front row dancing to the Lord. And so this is the kind of freedom that we're involved in and we're excited to to tell you more about what we're doing. We're just starting to work in Benin. And Benin is a brand new country that we'll be talking about a little bit later. And, uh, but we're involved in trying to get, in, we're trying to get involved in the worst of the worst situations in the world, the worst atrocities that you can imagine. War, AIDS, and slavery. We have a campaign called That's Who I Was. And the was is W-A-S, War, AIDS, and Slavery about people coming out of the worst of the worst and finding freedom and finding relief from the terrible things that they've lived through. Uh, we're involved in several things around the country. We're, we assist more than 700 children now around the world. And uh, I'll let Holly tell you some more. When, when we got married and we were involved in these type of ministries, we decided, you know what? We're no longer going to be the priest or the Levi. We're going to be the Good Samaritan, even if it means making sacrifices and not living a normal life. And we by no means live a normal life. Our schedule, um, everything that we do, the sacrifices that we make, the life that we have is not normal. We travel, we work, try to raise our kids, travel overseas, going to churches to speak and minister to people. But you know what? We know that that's what we need to do to fulfill the call of God on our life and to help the broken and the hurting of this world. And that's exactly what we do. We have the calling and the heart and the passion to find the least of these of the world. 
There is um, some of the brothels in foreign countries when the girls are too old, even like in their mid-20s, they're too old because a lot of these girls, they um, kidnap or sell them into the sex slave industry when they're 10, 11, 12 years old. So even in their 20s, they're too old to be in the brothels anymore. Or some of them are so ridden with STDs, STDs and AIDS that they are literally dying. And so the madams of the brothels, they kick them out, literally out the back door, laying in the alleys in the back street, and leave them there to die. They don't give them anything. They don't give them any food or water or anything. If they've been living there at the brothel for their shelter and for their food for 10, 13 years, then they literally kick them out in the back alley and leave them in the alley to die. And it's things like that that we are trying to organize now a new ministry and a new project to go over there and rescue those girls out of the alleys in the back and bring hope and value and life to them and other works that we're involved in around the world. That is our whole mission is to bring value and the love and hope of Jesus Christ to them. So we decided as a family that, you know what, we're going to give up and we're going to sacrifice the all-American dream. We could go out and get high-paying jobs and careers and have somewhat of a more of a normal life, so to speak, and have big fancy houses and cars, which we have had. We've gotten rid of all those things, and we've made a decision in our life to live a simple life. Maybe a simple life here. We live in a very you know, small, humble home. We don't try to do anything extravagant and live debt-free. But we're doing it and making the sacrifices so we can go out and reach the least of these of the world. So I'm not here just to share with you today about a little mission project that you can be involved in. I want you to see that it's much bigger than that. That you have to realize that there's so much more important things going on in our world. And we get so... Just the American churches and Christians as a whole, I feel like we get so focused on the insignificant things in our life. The money and the cars and the house and got to have the latest phone and gadgets and tablets and flat screen TVs and the cars and the lifestyle. And it just goes on and on and on of keeping up with the Joneses and have to have the name brand this or that. I've been there. I was trapped in all of that at one point in my life. I had the big half a million dollar home that looked like a showroom house anytime you walked in it and the fancy cars and everything. But you know what? I realized it's not worth it. It's not worth it when there are girls like little Ruthie chained up to a pole over in Cambodia that need, be, need, that need to be rescued or we can get girls out for $60 and save them and give them a life. And that was one of the main things that attracted me to Brian. When we were dating, when we went out to eat one night, I remember we paid, he was paying the bill, writing the tip on the receipt. Our total bill was around $60. And he even said, you know what, babe, I'm glad we got to go out on a date and spend this time together. He said, but we could have rescued a girl out of the sex trafficking industry tonight with this $60. And it's so true. How much money do we spend on coffee and dog food and pet supplies and hobbies. There's nothing wrong with those things as long as you have a balance in your life. But you know what? I think all of us in America could probably cut back and tailor back some things in our lives and live a little bit more simpler so we could give money to like rescue like these girls out of the shipping containers and little Ruthies that are chained up to a pole.
So our problems are so pale in comparison to these kids being tortured and shipped around the world in shipping containers, being starved and abused. So I'm here so their silent cries can be heard today, church. In Romans 8:19, it says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. See, people all over the world are waiting for the church to wake up. We are the sons of God. You and I, that's who we are. And there is so much darkness and there's so much brokenness in our world, but the church has been so busy running from the darkness for decades. Oh, my gosh, there's such an evil world out there. Let me go into my little comfortable church. We'll pray for them. You know what? We point fingers at them in judgment, and we have seen gross injustice done all around us. But we as Christians in America, we have allowed the world to get darker. Because we have the light, we can go out and make a difference. But too many times we want to stay comfortable. In Ephesians 5, 14 through 16, this is one of my favorite verses. Not only because I'm sharing it with you today in this message, but even in my life. And I share this with my children because it has so much wisdom in just these two verses. It says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Right there in the Word of God, it says, wake up, sleeper, and make the most of every opportunity. How many of y'all have an alarm clock you wake up to every day? whether it's on your phone or alarm clock sitting on the nightstand. Do you love your alarm clock? No, nobody likes it. How many of y'all, though, love your snooze button? Do y'all like your snooze button? I love my snooze button. Do any of y'all plan to snooze? Because I do. (laughs) Like, I'll actually set my alarm like 20 or 30 minutes before I really need to wake up so I can hit my snooze like two or three times so I can have the luxury of falling back asleep again a few times before I actually have to get up. So you know what? But the alarm clock in the church has been going off for years. We've been hitting that snooze button over and over and over. Missionaries come and they tell their stories and we're like, wow, look at all the things that they're doing. But we just hit the snooze button and we don't do anything. Then we go to conferences and conventions, and we feel all excited, and we get pumped up, and, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to change the world. And you don't even go to witness to one person that week. You hit the snooze button. You come in here week after week after week, and hear your pastors preach the word of God and teach you about what needs to be done and how you can grow and how you can go and do outreach. And by Tuesday, you totally forget what he said because we're caught up in the busyness of our world, and we're just hitting the snooze button over and over and over. And you just wait for the next big event to come. It's because we're so comfortable just like we are in our beds. I love to get in our bed and snuggle up with the down comforter and get in the pillows and oh, it's just so warm and so cozy and so comfortable. But as Christians, we have become too comfortable and too cozy and we don't want to get up. We don't want to get outside our four walls and go do anything. Because we like our services and we like our conferences because they make us feel good. 
but when is it actually going to change you where you just don't pass by, but you're going to cross over to the other side of the street and actually do something to get involved with broken people? So there's no more snooze option, church. We've been talking a lot in the church. There's a lot of activity in the churches around America, but are we going anywhere and doing anything? And that reminds me of my daughter, Camry, because she is a sleepwalker and a sleep talker. Any of you sleepwalk or sleep talk? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. (laughs) She is a sleepwalker. She was sleepwalking so much a few years ago that Brian and I on our front door had to put a real high latch lock at the top because I was afraid she was going to sleepwalk in the middle of the night and go outside and we would not know where she was at. So Camry likes to sleepwalk and sleep talk and our house right now that we have, her bedroom and our bedroom is upstairs and our son's bedroom is downstairs. And I thought I heard her get up a few weeks ago in the middle of the night and I was listening just to hear to see if she went to the bathroom or not and I never heard the bathroom door so I thought, I better go follow her and see what she's doing. It's like 3 a.m. I go downstairs, she's in her 16-year-old brother's room, flipped on the light, got the remote control to the TV, sitting on a couch. And I was like, Camry, what are you going to do? I'm watching a movie, Mom. She's like, I'm going to go get some snacks, and I'm going to watch a movie. And she's kind of mumbling in there, too, you know. She's like, I'm going to go get some snacks and blah, 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 that, and some blah, candy. And, you know, I was like, Camry, it's time to go to bed. And the thing that cracks me up is every time she does this, like when I tell her she needs to go back to bed, she gets mad at me. <laughs> like, like, irately mad. <laughs> and I'm like, Camry, it's time to go to bed. I am not going to bed. I want to watch a movie, Mom. I'm like, come on, you're going to go to bed. And I have to take her back up there. And so she likes to mumble in her sleep and wander around. And sometimes I feel like that's what the churches in America have been doing for years and years. We're talking, but we're just babbling. We're moving around within our own church, but are we really going out and doing anything? It's like we've been hitting the snooze button for so long that we're just a bunch of Christians that are sleepwalkers and sleep talkers. And we're not out there actually crossing the street, getting involved in people's lives. So we need to figure out what the Lord's will is, and it is to wake up. Because you see, if you're spiritually asleep, when you hear about things like this today, about these girls being trapped or treated like that on chains or being in filthy rooms, servicing 10 to 30 men a day, getting beaten and starved and abused and raped, and they're having diseases and AIDS and STDs, and you hear all this in church and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is just a nightmare. Why do we have to hear these such horrific things in church? And you just want to pull the covers up over your head and say, don't tell me that, I just want to stay comfortable. That's if you're spiritually asleep. But you know what? If you're spiritually awake today, then it's not a nightmare. If you're awake and alert, then you ask God, how can I make a difference in this dark world? Because you know that it's his light that is within you. And you know that the light will penetrate the darkness, and it's time for us to wake up. And you have something just rising up in you as an urgency of, I want to make a difference. How can I get involved and help these hurting girls? Because you know that there's a bigger purpose than your own life and your own problems. So I ask you this morning, does your heart beat for what God's heart beats for? Because God's heart heart beats for a lost and broken and hurting world. God sent his son. And you say, but you know what? It's really not my heart for missions. It's really not my heart to get involved in you know, the teen pregnancy center, or with the homeless people. That's just not my heart. 
Well, you know what? Then you need to pray to have the heart of God. Because Jesus prayed for the prostitutes and he ate with them. You know, but we always make excuses. Well, I don't have time right now, or I don't have the money. Well, I need to wait because I'm trying to get a better job so I can make more money, so I can get a bigger car, and I can get a big house, and I can get the flat screen, I can get the new phone that comes out. And we make all these excuses, and the list goes on and on and on. But let me tell you, it's not about a risk-free life. It's not about living a comfortable life. I challenge you, if you have never read this book before, to take down the information right now and buy it and read it. It will change and transform your life and your household. It's called Radical, and it's by David Platt. And it's all about the American dream compared to reaching the hurting and the broken of the world. It's got an amazing teaching in here out of the Word of God and some amazing testimonies of what people are doing and how they're changing their lifestyle to get more involved with the broken and the hurting of the world. Micah 6.8, it says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So you see, church, it's not complicated. It's very simple. The only thing the Lord requires of us is to do justice and to have mercy. Walk humbling with God. It's that simple. Sometimes we make it so complicated in the churches. We get into theology and discussions and and the what-ifs and trying to figure it all out. But you know what? God just made it plain and simple right there in that scripture. Justice and mercy. I want to read this scripture verse out of the book of Amos. And I actually chose to read this one out of the message version. A lot of times I don't go to the message But um, in the King James, it was talking a lot about religious festivals and feasts. So we don't really have those um, things that we do or we have renamed them in today's society. So I wanted to read it to you out of the message. It's Amos 5, 21 through 24. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. See, God is saying, I'm sick of your little Christian subculture that we have created with our worthless meetings. Do we need church? Absolutely. Do we need to come and grow and have fellowship? Absolutely. But I think that there's so many sleepwalking Christians aimlessly wandering around babbling, and God is tired of our charades. The American churches are playing games and putting Christian labels over it. Here in America, we are more blessed and more favored than any country in the world. Our country was founded on the principles of the Bible. It was godly men, pastors, intercessors who wrote the Constitution of the United States, and our country was founded and made on biblical godly principles. And I feel like that God has blessed and favored America because of that from many years ago from the seeds that they planted. But you know what? The American Christians have gotten so off-based with all those blessings and the favor that we have, we've become selfish with it. We've become selfish and self-centered with our money to spend it on ourselves instead of using it to reach out to the hurt and the broken of the world. 
I feel like America needs to live more simple so we can touch lives for the kingdom of God. So I challenge you to look at your life as a Christian. Your calling is to change the world. The world isn't going to come to you. We have to get up and be awake and cross the street and go out to where they are and reach out to the lost and hurting and dying world. I'm going to finish up with this last scripture. Then Brian's going to come back and talk to you about Benin and how you can get on board with us of rescuing girls out of sex slavery. He's going to share with you of how you can cross that street with us and get involved in their lives. Matthew 6.33, we all know it well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. See, it says, seek me first. And I feel like that so many times we have left Jesus behind or in the background of our lives to seek the stuff first. We have it all backwards. We need to seek him and do what he has called us to do, and then in return he will give us the desires of our heart and meet our needs. We have to get our eyes off of ourselves because sometimes we're so consumed with our problems and our life, what we want, what we don't have. And we have got to start focusing more on the hurting and the broken world around us. So you're going to hear from my husband now about a very broken part of the world and uh, how you can get involved and help us with these, with these women there. You may have never heard of a country called Benin. Show me where it's... Do you have the remote? Okay. Yeah. Benin is a small country. It's in between Nigeria and Ghana. You've heard of those countries. But Benin, you probably haven't heard of, unless you know about voodoo. This is where voodoo originated. What is voodoo? Satanism. If you've heard of Satanism, you've heard what they do in voodoo. This is a very evil religion. And when I first met the pastor that is involved over there, I couldn't believe some of the stories he told me. And I started doing research about what goes on in this country. This country has crazy things like they make a python their god. And they have these religious festivals that are where they have sacrifices. Not just, not just like sheep and goats and stuff. They have like human sacrifices. And they told me about these things and I just couldn't believe it. And I talked to this pastor... And I said, uh, and he told me that he was involved in rescuing girls in this country. He says, this isn't your normal kind of sex trafficking like in India where girls are sold by their parents into this. He says, he says this, is, this is really more bizarre in what they do here. And he said, he said uh, these voodoo priests, they... They require that all the children in their communities go through these rituals. And these rituals cost a lot of money. And if you live in these villages and are voodoo adherent, then you have to pay for these rituals so that your children can grow up in this religion. And these rituals cost up to five years of your wages. If you can't pay the rituals, then you give your child to the priest and the child is raised in the voodoo temple. And when they get to be about nine or ten years old, then they can start, then they become a wife to the witch doctor. 
And when they become a wife, this, this witch doctor might have even 100 wives. And during the day, they work in the fields, and they plant crops, and they sell those fruits and vegetables on the side of the road. And then at night, they serve the witch doctor and whatever he has in mind at night. And Pastor Michael, this friend of mine named Michael there that's a pastor, he told me he's been rescuing these girls. I said, I said tell, me, tell me how this happens. And he says, well, he says, the first girl I rescued, he says, we were having some evangelistic meetings. This is in South Benin. He says, I live in North Benin. This is in down in South Benin where this voodoo stuff takes place. And he says, I was traveling down there on my motorcycle, and I came across one of these girls. He says, you'll know that these girls are a voodoo adherent or, or belong to a witch doctor by the markings they have on their back. They will take some pottery, and they will slice them up on their back, and they'll put markings on them. And when you see these markings on the girl, you know she belongs to that witch doctor. He says, some of these villages you go through, the buildings are all red. All the houses are red. They take blood, put it in the cement, and they build their houses. And when you see these blood houses, you know that they are kept safe from the outside forces of evil that they believe. They're kept safe because they have blood that's keeping them safe, the blood of a child, possibly. And so he was traveling by, and he saw one of these girls with the markings on her back, and he was on his motorcycle. And he stopped, and he talked to her, and he, says, he said, um, he asked her, he said, do you want to escape this? Do you want to leave this? And she says, I can't. I, I can't. I don't know how. He, she said, they'll find me. They always find me. Every time I run away, they find me. He says, if I come back by tonight and you're still here, he says, I'll get you out of here. And so he went and he preached in these evangelistic meetings through the afternoon and at dark time, at dusk, right when the sun was going down, he came back and the girl was still there on the side of the road. He did a wonderful thing. It's called a kidnapping. Now, if you can imagine with me, he puts her on the back of his motorcycle. This is every man's dream. He's got a bike. He's got a girl on the back. She's topless. He's driving his motorcycle into the sunset. Not quite as glamorous as that. But this is the first girl that he rescued. He got her in, into a Christian home and got her some clothes and got her some food and got her some medicine. And this is just the first girl he rescued. Let me read, I'm going to read to you about a girl named Dorcas. I was born into a polygamous family of 22 and was the fifth child of seven by my mother. As soon as my mother had this seventh child, she became insane. From the story we were told, a witch doctor was involved, was invited into the home to cure my mother of her madness. This doctor demanded a large sum of money from my father. My father, along with my mother's parents, did not have the money. Instead, I was given as payment for the care of my mother. I was told that my mother was cured of her madness for a short time, and then she died. The blame was put on my father for being irresponsible. I remained a wife to the 65-year-old witch doctor from the time I was 12 until I was 16. When I was 16, one of the witch doctor's sons started raping me. I was told that if I told on him, he would kill me and that I should not refuse his, father, his further advances. By this time, the witch doctor had 12 wives and many children. I decided to run away, and some people took me to a Christian pastor named Michael. 
who was holding some evangelistic meetings in the area. Michael took me to the community head who demanded that I tur be turned over to him and that he would send me back to school. But it was only a trick for him to take me as his wife. This is the community head. Michael persuaded the community head to allow me to go back with him to pick up my belongings. <coughs> this community head said that he would send one of his deputies with us to make sure we didn't run away. But Michael paid the deputy a bribe of $345, and we left the area never to return. When I was first taken in by the church, I had bad health, many mosquito bites, pneumonia, as well as some sexually transmitted disease. I now stay with the sister of Pastor Michael's church. I help her by doing household chores as well as grow food on the farmland. I only finished through the fifth grade but would like to return to school. I hope someday to become a chef or do catering, but first I would like to return to school and maybe even go to a university. I enjoy spending time in nature and cooking. I also involved with the church in doing the house-to-house -house evangelism. At first, I had a hard time to associate with others. I did not understand this prayer, and I'd never heard of this holy Bible before. But now I have learned to pray and occasionally lead worship and praises in the Christian church that I attend. I am hoping for a sponsor so, that I, might buy, so I could buy clothing, sleeping materials, monthly upkeep, food, and return to school or learn catering and to be a chef. I am learning to have confidence once again, and I thank Jesus for my new life. And this is just one of the girls that Pastor Michael has uh, rescued out of the sex slavery that she was in down there in the voodoo temples. He's rescued out uh, many other girls um, that we have all their profiles and stories on the back table as well. I just got a, a message from this pastor this I just got a message from this pastor this morning, Pastor Michael. He writes to me, the enemy, the enemy of my soul has buffeted me with illness, and I've been suffering this for the past three months, and there's no cure in sight. I've tried several doctors here, and there's no improvement. I'm suffering from typhoid fever, and I'm planning to travel down to Lagos, Nigeria, for adequate treatment. I have spent the little I have to no avail. I just need some financial help to travel down to Nigeria. He goes on to talk about all the things he's suffering uh, he believes he has typhoid fever, I guess. And, um, um, and there's no Affordable Health Care Act to help him out. <laughs> he doesn't have any money to even make it to the doctor. And so um, uh, we're here to, this is a brand new project we're doing in Benin. We're just beginning this today in your congregation of, of trying to help this pastor. We work with se several different sex trafficking victims all over the world. This is kind of a little different than we're, we're used to. This isn't a normal um, ministry that we've been involved in, but it's kind of bizarre, and uh, we want to help this pastor today. So why don't you tell us about what we have at the table? Back at our product table here as we close, um, if you'll come back and visit us, if you feel led uh, that you would like to sponsor one of these girls, uh, this Pastor Michael, he puts his life on the line on a daily basis to basically kidnap or rescue these girls from these voodoo priests and take them out of this sex slave position that they are in. And uh, we can't even share his last name. We don't post his information on our website or anything because they're basically, he's wanted over there in his country of Benin. And so we have to protect him 
and um, but he has a, a desire and a passion to rescue so many girls out of this there in his country and he wants to rescue many more girls out he wants to help build a house of hope to put them in as a safe house and uh, there's lots of things that he wants to do and we are trying to help him and rescue these girls out of the sex uh, slave trade over there in Benin so back at our table today we have some sponsorship cards if you feel led to sponsor a girl that has been rescued out of the sex trafficking industry over there um, if you take a few moments and just fill out the card, you don't even have to pay anything today. Um, your sponsorship will start in January. We like for people to make at least a one-year commitment. Um, if you want to do longer than that, that's more than welcome. But if you'll fill that out and turn it back to us, then in return, we have several different girls and their stories that have been rescued out. Um, you get to take home their biopic and keep it to pray for her and know her story. And we have sponsorship as low as $15 a month. Uh, we usually try to find about eight sponsors per girl to help them get education, food, clothing, medicine, everything that they need. Um, but you can bring hope and value and life to these girls um, by sponsoring them. So we have sponsorship cards. We also have the greeting cards that my husband talked about. Uh, we have birthday cards, encouragement cards, and a lot of Christmas cards that you can purchase back there. And we also have jewelry. I'm wearing one of the necklaces, so is my daughter. We have necklaces and bracelets, um, and the money goes back to help the girls we're rescuing out of sex trafficking. Um, they have the words hope, value, or was on it for the kids we've rescued out of war, AIDS, and slavery. So we thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and share with you today. Um, once again, we would like for everybody that can to come out to the workshop this afternoon to be more aware about sex trafficking here in the United States is what we're going to talk about this afternoon. And uh, thank you guys so much. We look forward to meeting you back at the table.